Let's all praise the Lord right now. God is awesome. He is wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. If we could get a little more monitor here. Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. And just for those of you that might have wondered, you know how, uh, if you've been in the church any time at all, you've, you know how God uh, sometimes speaks to us and in tongues and interpretation, I believe God had spoken to us, but that was, uh, for me, I believe the Lord was just absolutely confirming to me that the message I have this morning is the message that he wants for us. That being said, I'm a little nervous because I feel that uh, this message could really help and change many of our lives if we apply it and if we listen to it. So it's a very humbling thing to hear the voice of the Lord and feel as though he is speaking to us. And I believe God is talking to his church. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. It says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, he shall, uh, Lord, you shall... You shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. Verse 3 says, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. Notice that. A male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And then uh, I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 15. And uh, sorry for reading all of this, but uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15, we're going to read verses 19 through 21, and I, I believe the Lord wants to talk to us today. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 19, it's on the screen. It says, all the firstling males that come of thy herd and of thy flock shall thou sanctify unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work with the firstling of the bullock, nor shear the firstling of the sheep. Thou shalt eat it before the Lord thy God year by year in the place that the Lord will choose, thou and thy household. And then verse 21, it says, If there be any blemish therein, as if it be lame or blind or have any ill blemish, thou shalt not sacrifice it unto the Lord thy God. From this thought, or from these scriptures, I would like to preach this morning, the first for God. The first for God. Jesus, thank you again for what you're going to do. Thank you for ministering to us. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for those that you've already healed and touched, and thank you for those that you've already encouraged. And thank you for those that have already been blessed. And I ask, God, that you would allow your servant to speak the words that you have spoken to me under the unction of the Holy Ghost and through the power of your spirit. I ask you to let it be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5, it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And I'm 
I'm not going to read these scriptures, but in Exodus 29 and verse 1, Leviticus 1 and 10, Leviticus 3, 1 through 6, or 1 and 6, Leviticus 4, verse 23 and 28 and verse 32, Leviticus 5, verse 15 and 18, Leviticus 6 and 6, Leviticus 9 and 2 and 3, and many, many, many more scriptures in the Word of God put out the idea that the first and the best belongs to God. Would somebody say amen? Leviticus chapter 4, verse 3, it says, If the priest that is anointed to do according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. And then Leviticus 22 and verse 20, it says, But whatsoever hath a blemish, that shall you not offer, for it shall not be acceptable to you. Going back into very early human history, God established the principle of sacrifice. When Adam and Eve were naked after their sin, God killed animals and made them clothes to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin. It is a type of sacrifice, and it goes all the way back to the first man and the first woman. And then their children, Cain and Abel, offered sacrifice. And Abel's sacrifice was accepted while Cain's was not. We read some of, or we read some of the many verses that clearly established the principle that the first and blessed is what first and best is what we should offer God. And I would like to tell you today that anything less than that is sin. I fear that people think because God is merciful that He somehow no longer desires sacrifice. They think that God has changed his mind on this first and best offering in this sacrifice principle. Often they think because we are living now in the New Testament, we are living in a new dispensation of time that somehow God has shifted from us uh, needing and, and, and the requirement upon us that we would offer sacrifices unto God, that somehow that is stuck back in the Old Testament and it's not in the New Testament. Now, I'm grateful that we didn't have to bring animals to the house of God this morning and offering them on the altar. I'm thankful for that. And that part is true. We, you didn't have to bring a lamb and you didn't have to bring a bullock and you didn't have to bring a turtle dove this morning and offer it before the Lord. So that, yes, uh, that sacrifice, so that type of sacrifice is in the Old Testament. But I submit to you that God never stopped requiring sacrifice of his people. Just because we're in the New Testament doesn't mean that he has stopped asking us for a sacrifice. Amen. I believe for those that believe that, that, that that's all Old Testament, that's under the law, I believe the absolute opposite of that is true. God is more inclined, listen to this, God is more inclined to reject lame sacrifices today than he was in the Old Testament. I want you to hear me today in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. 
It says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth every all men everywhere to repent. Uh, there was a time that God said, humanity is ignorant. They are unlearned. Uh, I can kind of just, just, just turn my head on that and kind of ignore some things. Uh, but humanity has matured and we have grown. We are more knowledgeable today than humanity has ever been since the beginning of time. Uh, and so God no longer will hide his face from ignorance. Uh, if somebody's ignorant, it's because they're willingly so, not because uh, uh, that, that they are just somehow ignorant on their own, uh, but there are more Bibles in our world today. There are more, more uh, uh, opportunities for you to hear, to read, and to listen to the truth uh, today than ever before. So God will not excuse that anymore. And I want to tell you today that Satan is selling a lie to Christianity today. And that, that lie is this easy believism, costless salvation. Uh, that is the lie that Satan is selling to Christianity today to try to somehow tell you th that you don't have to do anything, that you're automatically saved. Uh, and if you do anything, you don't even have to repent uh, because God's blood covers you. Uh, I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, but the Bible tells me that if I sin, uh, I must repent. Uh, I must call upon him and ask him forgiveness for forgiveness and then his blood if I've been baptized in his name will cover me so Satan is selling a lie to modern day Christianity that lie is that, that, that uh, Satan's attempt and I believe it's Satan's attempt to, to water down the truth and so listen to this if God required sacrifice in the Old Testament then he still requires it in the New Testament. Because if God is the same yesterday and today and forever, then the principles that God set forth in the Old Testament still apply in the New Testament. The only difference is that in the New Testament we are saved by His, Jesus, perfect blood. And then we don't have to kill animals as a restitution for our sins anymore. And for that, I'm grateful. But the sacrifices God requires now are different, but, but they are just as important to our salvation. I said a couple of weeks ago that there are two things Christians need to do. Number one is we need to keep our attitude right. And number two, we need to reach souls. Those are our two jobs. If we will do those right, then everything else will take care of itself. Psalm 51 and 17 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. What does it mean about a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart? I'm here to let you know this morning that God wants your heart and he wants your spirit to be right. If your heart is not right, if your spirit is not not right. It doesn't matter if you're dressing holy on the outside because God sees beyond that exterior to the filth that is on the inside. But I would also like to submit to you that if your spirit is right and your heart is right, then your exterior will be right also. See, people can't see your heart. 
they can sense your spirit, but they can't see your heart. And some people say, well, my heart is right. Well, if your heart is right, then you'll live a holy life. <laughs> all right, I knew I was going to hit a stump with that one, but that's all right. In the Old Testament, sacrifices became a habit. And just a few moments ago, God was kind of re-talking to me about something that I think I need to dwell on for a little while. In the Old Testament, sacrifices became a habit. They were empty rituals. Their sacrifices were not as much a sacrifice as they were supposed to be. And so I want you to understand something that God showed me. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were 400 years of silence where the voice of God was not heard. People would pray, but his voice would not be heard. The prophets and those that were mouthpieces of God were no longer conduits because God was silent for 400 years. And I want to show you why I believe he was silent. I believe it has something to do with the fact of the unacceptable manner in which God's people were handling their sacrifices. Look at the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, chapter 1. And verse 6, it says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? God is speaking. If I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priests that despise my name, and ye shall say, Wherein have we despised thy name? And then he lays it out there. He lays it out as plain as he can possibly lay it out. He says, You offer polluted bread upon mine altar. The other day I had to throw away part of a loaf of bread because it became moldy. Has that ever happened at your house? You open it up and there's, you know, black mold or green mold starting to grow on it. Of course, they say that's where penicillin comes from, I guess. But I don't like the idea of having penicillin that way. If it's going to be converted to penicillin, let somebody else do it. I just don't like the idea of eating moldy bread. Is that all right? <laughs> but God said, you offer polluted bread upon my altar. In other words, you see, God had instructed the people of God that every morning you're going to put out a fresh loaf of bread. Every day you're going to put out a fresh freshly baked loaf of bread and you're going to take away that which you had put out yesterday and you're going to put something out 
new today. But what they were doing, instead of putting out the fresh bread, they would keep the fresh bread and they would put the day-old bread out on God's altar, on God's table, and say, Lord, this is yours. Are you still with me or did I lose you? He goes on and says, And you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. Verse 8. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Then notice God's argument here. He says, Offer it now to thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. They had gotten so used to sacrificing. And they had gotten so used to paying a price for the furtherance of their relationship with the Lord. They lost track of the fact that when God established the idea of sacrifice, that it must be the first and it must be the best. I want you to understand something. If a sacrifice doesn't cost you, it's not a sacrifice. If a sacrifice doesn't cost you, it is not a sacrifice. And I'm not even sure it's an offering. (laughs) But I want you to know this, that God from the beginning of time said, if you're going to bring an animal a sacrifice to me, then I want you to bring that which is best. Look throughout your flocks and set aside that which is best. And when you bring it to me, make sure that there are no blemishes in the sacrifice. My study, I found that the children of Israel would bring their offering to what they would call the slayer. And once the offering was looked at by the priests, then it would go to the slayer, and the slayer would open up the sacrifice. He would cut it at the spine and open up the sacrifice to be sure that although it looked good on the outside, it also had to be without blemish on the inside. So he would open up that sacrifice and make sure that it is is in fact without blemish. That tells me, that drives the point home to me that God is concerned about the quality of our sacrifice. And I believe the reason that there was 400 years of silence between the last verses in the Old Testament and the newest verses in the New Testament, that God God said, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You have been bringing to me blind sacrifices uh, and lame sacrifices uh, and sacrifices that were on their deathbed. Uh, That's what you've been bringing to me. Instead of going out and looking at the best in your flock, uh, you have been looking for those things that are about to expire. And you expect that I'm going to respect that? You think that's going to be acceptable to me? 
And so 400 years, God put his fingers in his proverbial ears and said, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And it's all because of the type of sacrifices that you have been bringing. You have been dragging the lame and the blind and the things that if you offered it to your governor, if you offered it to your friends, they would look at you at a fence and say, what is that you're bringing here? Now, I think I've told you this before, but I hope you understand this. We are paper plate people. Uh, you know, just don't take offense at that, but when we have Thanksgiving and when we have Christmas dinner, we put out the paper plates. Now, I go buy nice paper plates. You know, they're Christmassy paper plates. And they have a picture of a turkey on them for Thanksgiving, and they're nice. They're not those cheap ones that you got to put four together just so you can hold your hamburger. All right, you, you understand. You all got that, right? They're, they're good paper plates. Now, my mom was a China person. She would put out the china and the best silverware. We have that stuff, but to be honest with you, we're a little bit too lazy for it because then you have to wash all that stuff. And when you've got all the food and all the pots and all the pans and all the this and all the that, it's just easier to put out those nice fancy paper plates. Now, we do put out real, you know, silverware and, and, and stuff because, you know, the plastic forks, they just, they break when you're trying, you know, uh, when you're trying to eat something that's, well, anyhow, you understand what I'm trying to say. It, it, is, it, it is so, but... I think I just shot a hole in my message. But what I'm trying to say is that we still want to honor our guests. And we want to know them to know that we love them. But when the meal is over, if you've ever hosted a family dinner at your house where you've got dozens of people there, you know what it's like. When the last person is going out the door, you're ready to collapse onto the couch and say, thank God they're gone. Amen. Somebody smile at me at least. Do I have a witness? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that? It's like, oh, we loved having them and we loved laughing and we loved playing cards and games and this and that. But now that you're gone, whoo, good riddance. We shut the door and go, yes! We love it when they're coming and we love the food, but I am not going to put out half-baked food. I'm not going to go to the discount store, excuse me, to buy something to celebrate Thanksgiving or Christmas. I am going to put out the best. I want them to know that we love you and that we appreciate you and we are glad that you are here. And so we put out the best. My sister often makes her cookies and her pies or, or at least she buys a good one if she doesn't have enough time to bake it, but we put out the best because this is a celebration of life and love and family. And so we put out that which is good. But I am not going to go out in the street and drag in last week's roadkill to serve my family. 
Now, my dad was a hunter, and he, you know, often went pheasant hunt, hunting, a lot of times hunting for raccoon. I'm glad, I, to the best of my knowledge, he never served me raccoon. But I remember eating a meal one time that somebody had actually killed with a shotgun, and, and I remember chewing on that and all of a sudden biting down on a piece of lead. Like you could have at least taken the bullets out of it. <laughs> Anyhow, I digress. <laughs> I just have this thinking, this idea. You see, when we are going to celebrate with our family, my wife knows this, we go through the house and we clean everything. We take out that lemon pledge and we polish the furniture up. Come on, somebody, help me out. We even move the furniture out and vacuum underneath it. We haven't done it since last Thanksgiving, but we're going to do it this Thanksgiving. So we pull the couch out and we vacuum underneath it. We move this and we move that. <laughs> it's true. God's honest truth. We, we, we dust this around the ceilings, get the cobwebs that were there yesterday aren't going to be there for Thanksgiving. I mean, we just, we, we go all out. We put on that nice tablecloth that we won't put on the table all the rest of the year, but we put it out for Thanksgiving and we put it out for Christmas and we, we spend days getting the house ready because it is a celebration of life. It is a celebration of love and family. So we prepare. We clean everything. And we prepare for the guests to arrive. And the food, oh, my God, our house smells. Oh, hallelujah. I'm thinking about Thanksgiving right now. You know, we, we need to move up Thanksgiving. I mean, the turkey and the stuffing and the, well, we don't do the fancy cranberry sauce. We just get the stuff out of the can that has the lines in it, you know, when you slide it out of the can, you know. There's only one or two people in the house that like it. You know, the, the cranberry sauce that you can cut, cut into slices, you know, that's our. But everything else is awesome. I mean, the, the stuffing is out of this world and the gravy and the turkey and the, oh, and then for Christmas, you know, we got that honey-baked ham. Oh, my goodness. You know, I could just eat that stuff that's on the outside, you know. I thank God for the ham, but the stuff on the outside is like, wow, you know. And, and, and so, so, but we really do it right because, everybody's coming and we want it to be good and we want them to say that's the best turkey I've ever had and that's the best ham I ever had not just to say that but to let them know we are investing in our family because our family matters but what was happening in the minds of Israel is God won't know if this animal is blind God won't know if this animal is wheezing and coughing and on its last leg we'll just bring that because our family, you know, we'll serve this lamb to our family. We'll sell this lamb for sacrifice or, 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 or for, uh, to raise money or, or, or to just get some money for our family. But, but this, this, lame's, this lame one, this is what we're going to offer to God. And we'll present it. And God said, you have offended me. How dare you offer to me? 
that which you won't even offer to your governor? Do you somehow hold people at a higher level of reverence and respect than you hold me? And so God said, as a result of that, I'm not going to even talk to you for the next 400 years. You won't hear my voice. The next time you hear my voice is going to be when I come to give my life a perfect lamb sacrifice for your sins. That's the next time you're going to hear from me. The next time you hear from me is when I am going to come in the form of a, I'm going to robe myself in human flesh. I'm going to come and be born in a manger. And then I am going to give my life fully and wholly and completely to you and for you and for your sin a perfect lamb sacrifice not a savior that has sinned but a savior that is sinless not a savior that is lame or halt or blind but a savior that when they put him upon the cross there was no guilt in him there was no blemish there was no shame but he gave himself for us God said, the next time you see me, I'm going to show you what sacrifice looks like. We need to understand. Now, listen to this. Beliefs, beliefs are something that we hold. Convictions are something that holds us. I'm glad for your beliefs, but you better have some convictions. One of the reasons that some people struggle is because they're living a belief system instead of a conviction system. God, talk to us right now in Jesus' name. We need, every Christian must have convictions. Now, my convictions might be similar to yours, might be identical to yours, but my convictions are mine. I will not push my convictions off on you. Because you have to have your own. It's not your conviction if it's mine, but it's your conviction if it's yours. And we all have to have convictions. A conviction is a knowledge and a commitment, and that is absolutely personal. And I want you to listen to this as well. There is a real danger in hand-me-down religion. I was out at conference this week, our, our general conference. Awesome services, great time, wonderful fellowship. But unfortunately, there is a philosophy amongst us that if you are the son of a son of a son of a son, and you are fourth, fifth, sixth generation, Pentecostal, that you somehow are better than everybody else. <laughs> pedigree. I don't care about your pedigree. Your pedigree is, is, is nothing to me. Because I don't care how many of your family members have been in the church. My question to you is, are you in the church?
I don't care how many of your family members have been preaching for years and thousands of messages and have huge, huge churches and this and that. That's wonderful and that's great. But listen, you can't ride to heaven on the coattails of your daddy. Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, again, I think the Bible, we do have to give honor to whom honor is due. But I think we need to earn this. We need to earn it on our knees. We need to earn it in the baptismal tank. We need to earn it at the altar. <laughs> All right, that didn't go over too well. Maybe I need to move along. When I say earn it, what I'm trying to say is this. If you're 10th generation Pentecostal, that's great. But you have to repent just like I had to repent. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name just like I've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. You need the Holy Ghost just like I need the Holy Ghost. Uh, but there's this idea that hand-me-down religion is somehow acceptable. But God says, I want the first and the best. Uh, if you want to be a great preacher, it's because it's going to be birthed uh, on an altar in the presence of God. Not because of who your mama was or who your daddy was. I hadn't planned on saying this, but I'm going to say it. The problem with our society today is we got a lot of kids that go out to Bible school, and I'm great for Bible school. But you know what? And I understand a lot of our churches, they want to hire in youth pastors and youth leaders and, and, and music directors and music ministry this and piano players and, 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 you know, people that will help in their churches. And I'm grateful for that. But I heard something that really bothers me. Somebody said this, that if you are going to hire somebody and bring somebody into your church out of one of our Bible schools, you better be prepared to pay for it. In other words, the best are going to get the best jobs. They're going to be offered the best jobs with the most money, the full-time jobs. But whatever happened to praying and saying, God, where do you want me to go? I understand that you may want a full-time income. I understand that you may want to lead that 400-person choir. But what if God wants you to join arm-in-arm arm with a missionary? What if God wants you to join arm-in-arm arm with a brand-new church start? I'm afraid that we have dismissed prayer and fasting for convenience sake. So there's, I submit to you that there's a real danger in hand-me-down religion. Your walk with God needs to be personal and it needs to be passionate. I say it again, your walk with God needs to be personal and it needs to be passionate. The New Testament church uh, is, is in just as much danger as the Old Testament believers were. And I refuse to not hear the voice of God. I refuse to not hear, thus saith the Lord, in terms of convenience, in terms of lame sacrifice, never. We're going to offer to God that which is first and that which is best. Now, I got myself in a little bit of trouble at conference. 
And whether you help bail me out or not, it's up to you. Everybody's looking at me like, oh, no, what did he do now? Well, let me first of all tell you that one of our very precious ladies last week came and said, I want to give $1,000 to feed the children. And so when we went to conference, I was praying and asking the Lord, Lord, where do you want that money to go? We know it needs to go to the needs of children. And the very first day at conference, I got a text on my phone from our district uh, Sunday school director that said that the Sunday school department is trying to raise money to build an orphanage in Haiti. God said, that's it. So I texted him right back and said, we're going to give $1,000 to build a church, to build an orphanage in Haiti. And listen to this. You've got to listen to this statistic. In Haiti, 50% of the population is under 14 years old. Did you hear that? 50% of the population is under 14 years old. They have hundreds and thousands, millions of children that have nobody to take care of them because their parents can't take care of them. Their parents either aren't in the picture or somehow they just got orphans somewhere and you got kids all over the streets and, and they are starving to death. And our church, thankfully, our organization is going to be building a brand new orphanage there. My prayer is we build a thousand of them. Amen? But that's not where I got into trouble because she had already said, I'm going to give a thousand dollars, and we found where to put it towards the children. But then during the foreign mission service, as the altar call was coming along and the preaching and everything else, God said, you need to give $1,000 to foreign missions to get the missionaries back to the field. So I gave $1,000 to foreign missions out at General Conference. We'll figure out how to pay it later. Then the next day, we were in the home mission service. And they were talking about all the needs there in home missions. I looked over at my wife very sheepishly, hand me that envelope there. And I said, we're going to give $1,000 to home missions. Going back, by the way, to foreign missions for just a minute, one thing I, I very much appreciate is that because of the offering that was given at that conference, at that service, every single one of our missionaries is able to go back to the foreign field without having to deputize. I'm thankful that gone are the days where missionaries have to travel for three and four years to raise the money just so they can go to the foreign field. And then they go for four, five, maybe six years, but usually it's for four years. And then they've got to come back for another two or three years and raise more money so they can go back again. Shame on us. That's not the way it should be. We've got a world to reach. By the way, just so you know this, we are in all but 20 nations of the world now. 
We have missionaries in, in all, all, the, all the nations of the world except for 20, and we're trying to get missionaries into the last 20. We need to do that. Amen. That's right. I hear somebody clapping their hands. Maybe somebody else should. So there is service to God, which is more ritual and less relationship, and that's wrong. And with God, it's not the amount, it's the intention that matters. Jesus and his disciples were watching the offering and saw a widow that came with a couple of pennies. And Jesus said of her, she gave more than all the rest. There were some that were, they would have servants after servant after servant bring baskets full of offering and place it at the altar. But this lady, this widow woman came down with just a couple of pennies and Jesus said she has given more than all the rest. In Luke 21 and 4 it says, For all these have of their abundance cast in the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. In the eyes of God, everything we sacrifice, everything we give to him is an offering of one type or another. When we bring our offering to the Lord, no defect should be knowingly tolerated by any of us. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He says, therefore, if thou bring thy gift. Now, by the way, let me stop for a second and say this. Uh, some people of you, so, some of us that are, that are stuck in the idea that sacrifice is an Old Testament philosophy, you need to start hearing what the New Testament says. Uh, Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 23 of Matthew, he says, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest uh, that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then and come and offer thy gift. Uh, what God is saying is uh, when you come to the altar and you're all at the altar and you're praying and you're seeking my face uh, and you realize oh I got this situation between my brother and my sister. God is saying go deal with that. Make that right. Uh, that way when you come your offering is pure. Now, here's the troubling part, is that many of us shout at that, but we still have issues. Lord, help me. I'm trying to be nice. The problem is sometimes we feel justified in being able to walk by somebody in church because we don't like them or because they've offended us or they've hurt our feelings or they've done this or I'm going home right now. I'm coming right. I'm parking myself right next to you. You better hear me. If there's somebody that we can't get along with here, how are we going to get along with them up there? Our offerings are spotted and blemished by unforgiveness. Amen? 
The Old Testament law required the firstborn, the best, nothing with a blemish, nothing with a spot. The Bible shows us that God claims first priority, the first day of the week, the first fruits of our labor, the first of our affections, the firstborn of man and beast, uh, and the first tenth of our increase. And somebody please say amen. God's Word establishes that the first and the best belongs to God. Now, I'd like to point something out to you in the New Testament. Judas said that Mary's offering, when she pours on expensive ointment upon Jesus, that it was a waste. Judas said that offering was a waste. No offering, no sacrifice that you offer to God is a waste. True worship is expensive. Stingy worshipers will always find fault in it. (laughs) Now, I do believe in being sensitive to the Spirit of God, and not every service is going to be a shouting service. I understand that. I know that. God will will do services different ways at different times, and and different, you know, each service is intended for a particular purpose that God wants to meet at that time. We need to realize that. We need to understand that. But our worship does not necessarily need to be exuberant, although I'm thankful for exuberant worship. What I'm saying is uh, don't offer God lame worship. Uh, And then in offering God lame worship, look around with eyes that are saying, oh, why are they doing that? Why is he rolling like that? Why is she jumping like that? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Now, I believe that when we come to church, we need to uh, hopefully dress in some of our best clothes because we are presenting ourselves before the Lord. Uh, but if you have a $1,000 suit and can't worship God in it, why don't you turn in the $1,000 suit uh, and go to J.C. Penney's and get a $150 suit on sale for $99.98 uh, and go ahead and worship God in that. Uh, because if your if you're fancy dress uh, or if your fancy suit or your silk tie is keeping you from worshiping the Lord, uh, then get something else uh, that is also acceptable. I'm not telling you you need to come in blue jeans, uh, but what I'm saying is uh, worship. I hadn't planned on saying any of that. Your best doesn't have to be expensive. Amen. In Luke chapter 6, it says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto, give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. The philosophy behind those verses is this. Uh, if you're going to bring an offering to the Lord, uh, uh, in fact, I, I'm, I'm not a cook. I, you know, I, I can do hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill. I'm pretty good at that. Are there any men in the church who want to admit to our culinary um, lack of ability. All right, I got one hand back there. I mean, there's a few other things I can do. You know, I can do that boxed macaroni and cheese. You know, I can handle that. You know, all you got to do is make sure you cook 
cook the noodles good enough so they're not overdone, not over underdone. And then you put it, you know, you strain out the water, you, you, you know, strain it out, and then you put it in a pot, you pour that powder stuff in there, you mix it up real good, make sure you don't leave any big chunks in there, and you got really good mac and cheese. And somebody in the house said, Amen. And, and you know, so, oh Lord, now I'm all messed up. All right, oh, good, good measure. Okay, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> so, when he talked about good measure, for those of you that are culinary experts, you have those measuring spoons and measuring cups and everything else. You know, they say, put in a half cup of this and put in a quarter cup of that. But in God's philosophy, he says, if you're going to bring an offering and you're going to put something in that cup, press it down, shake it together, add more, press it down again. Don't just scoop it in there and slide a pencil across the top and say this is good enough. But I want you to press it down because there's still more room in that cup. Shake it together. And then when you're done, after you've pressed it down to make sure it's full, and then pour some on top until it's overflowing. Press down, shaking together, running over. God says, with the measure that you give to me, I'm going to measure back to you. So when the offering comes, the ushers are standing up there, and, and, and the, the ushers got to literally yank that dollar bill out of your hand so it goes into the plate. There's a problem with that. I've got to be honest with you. There's some Sundays I'm just glad nobody's taking anything out of the offering. <laughs> Sometimes I've got to tell the ushers, just make sure. And, and forget it. I'm not going to say that. Lord, help me. I was, I was doing good a few moments ago. But you know something? When we bring, when we bring it to God, it shouldn't be, oh, I'm going to miss this. It should be, I have the opportunity to give to God. Do you get this? I have the opportunity to give to God. And God says, when you give to me, I'm going to give back to you. So if you give to me, pressed down, shaking together, running over, then I'm going to give back to you in the same measure that you give unto me. So if you give me stingy offerings, I'm not going to give you blessings on top of blessings. And so the Old Testament proves to us that people have a tendency to offer less than the best. David said of this, How can I offer to God that which costs me nothing? And I guess I submit to you if, if, if it doesn't cost you anything that you're not giving God anything. And how I, I believe this how we dress and how we act on our financial support, it ought to be our best. It is our worship. It ought to be our best. Amen? And for those that believe that I'm wrong about this, you need to, uh, the whole idea of sacrifices, you need to hear some things. Jesus said in Matthew 6, notice what he said, but seek ye He didn't say seek your degree first. 
I want to be a lawyer. Great. But you better be a Christian first. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And Sister Ellen already said it. She's jumping the gun on my message. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added. What are these things? All that other stuff you need? Amen? All that other stuff you're wondering about, all that other stuff you're praying about, all that other stuff that you're desiring, if you seek me first and all this other stuff, all these other things will be added unto you. But that's the principle. And it's in the New Testament. It's not just in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Am I running out of time? Well, I got about 10 more pages. You got some time? Just kidding. Holiness, listen to this, is a sacrifice. It is an offering to God. We believe in separation of the sexes. That means men should dress like men and women should dress like women. All right, I just lost about a half dozen of you. <laughs> and we believe in separation from the world. When people talk about, well, God sees my heart. Yes, he sees your heart, but it's people in the world that see how you dress. I have had more people stop us and say, are you a Christian? Because we're dressing decently and we're dressing right. More often, ladies, you will be stopped and someone will ask you if you're a Christian simply because you're wearing a dress. All right, Lord help us. <laughs> so we believe in separation of the sexes, that men should look like men and women should look like women. We also believe in separation from the world. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Again, this is New Testament. Everybody got this? That you what? Present your body a living sacrifice. And he goes on, holy. What's the next word? Uh-oh. Let's take that out of there. Problem is, it's in there a few more times before we finish this. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. All right, Lord, so now you need to do some talking. So I go back and I'll read again that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. And in fact, let me say this as well. If there's an acceptable offering to God, then there's an unacceptable offering to God. Which is your reasonable service. Oh, by the way, which is the least that you can do. That's the least you can do. I mean, depending on how long we survive this world, 
whether it's 77 years, 76 years, 80 years, 90 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever it is, but sooner or later we are going to be ushered into the presence of God. And when you're walking on golden streets uh, and, and, and the gates of, are made of pearl and the walls of jasper and you are for all eternity going to be able to live uh, in heavenly bliss, uh, it is your reasonable service. Uh, it is the least that you can do. The fact that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life, uh, the fact that there's not sin in your life, uh, and you can stand before the God, before God holy and righteous and innocent. Uh, he doesn't see your sin anymore. Just by virtue of that, you owe God something. It says, and be not conformed, or don't be poured into this world's mold. Do not be conformed by the world, but be ye, notice this, transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that, again, good, and somebody say it, and acceptable, and what? Perfect will of God. So the philosophy of first and best is also in the New Testament. I absolutely believe that your heart has to be right, internal holiness. I believe that. And if that is right, then out outward holiness will be an important issue to you as well. Proverbs 3 and 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thy increase. So our giving is something that we need to honor the Lord. In Proverbs 21 and 3, it says, do justice and judgment, or to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. In other words, what God is saying is, uh, you say you're giving a sacrifice, uh, but if you are not being right with your neighbor, if you are not being right with your co-worker, if you're not being right with your, with your boss, uh, then I'm not accepting your sacrifice. Uh, you get it right with them, and then I'll accept your sacrifice. I don't know why I'm going to say it, but, Lord, you put it in my mouth. If you're cheating at work, shame on you. I don't know how you can stand before God and, and cheat at work. God is talking to, to us about our attitude and how we treat people. If you can't treat somebody in a godly manner that has a different nationality than you, shame on you. I don't care what color you are. You are my brother. You are my sister. We need to learn how to treat people right, even when they don't treat us right. Our attitude, God is saying, and how we treat people is important. First Samuel 15, 22, it says, it says, And Samuel said, Half the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken better than the fat of rams. I'm glad for what people give and what people do, but what God is saying is if they will listen to what I say, if they, they will listen to the preaching, if they'll listen to the Word of God, that that is better than their sacrifices. 
You can't earn your way into heaven. Amen? And then God talks about obedience. We, we also look in Hebrews 13, verse 15. It says, By him, therefore, let, her, let us offer uh, the sacrifices of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Uh, our offerings of sacrifices are praises to God. It is our worship. Now, I've got to hurry. In, in Proverbs 3, verse 6, it says, In all, notice this, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. How do we acknowledge him in all our ways? We acknowledge him by living for him. We acknowledge him by having the right attitude and the right spirit. And then talking about the church. I've got more. I've got more. I've got to finish. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27, it says that you might present it, that, talking about the church, that he might present it to himself. A, notice this, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. What God is saying that, uh, that my church is going to be a church with no spot, no wrinkle, no such thing. Uh, it is going to be a pure church, Brother Brown. It's going to be a holy church. It's going to be a righteous church. Uh, they're going to be a godly people. They're going to be a royal priesthood. Uh, they're going to be a holy nation. Uh, and so God is saying that that church is going to be presented to himself and it's going to be a glorious church uh, without spot without wrinkle then I want you to see what the psalmist said when he talked about our our thoughts and our words he said in Psalm 19 14 let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight O Lord my strength my redeemer what God is saying is that stuff that's coming out of your mouth, it ought to be acceptable to him. We come to church with holy words and walk out with filthy words. Oh, I didn't say that, did I? He said, let the words of my mouth and what? What you're thinking about. But this is the disconnect. Some people think, well, if as long as I am careful what I say, it doesn't matter what I think. But God says, let the meditations of my heart be acceptable. In other words, what you're thinking about, what you're dwelling on, what you're imagining, all that stuff that's in your brain. Now, listen, I, I don't want somebody to walk out of here be feeling condemned. There's stuff that comes into your mind. Uh, it happens to every one of us. Y'all got this. Uh, I mean, you're walking through the mall, and all of a sudden, somebody walks in front of you. It's like, oh, my God. I mean, you know. Q-tip has more cotton on it than that does. I mean, you, you see stuff that's like, my Lord? You're not sure if it's male or female, but if you take that second look, it's going to be an issue. I'm trying to be nice. I'm real. Y'all pray for me. 
You kind of get what I'm talking about. I want you to understand something. You know, you're looking at a newspaper. You're looking at a billboard and something just kind of pops in your mind or something just kind of comes in and goes out. That's not what you're dwelling on. But it's when you keep clicking on it and keep clicking on it and keep clicking on it. It's when you keep going back to that page and saying, well, I want to see that again. Or you start following her or him around the mall because they're hot. That's the issue. You're now dwelling on it. It is getting into your imagination. It's getting into your mind. So not only the words of your mouth, but the meditations, the thoughts that are going on in your mind, they need to be acceptable to the Lord. Amen? I'm bringing it to a close, I promise. James said uh, in James chapter 1, verse 27, notice this. By the way, again, New Testament, he said, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Pure religion. Now, I do submit to you that I think we need to be more merciful and there's sometimes people amongst us that we need to do our best to help. I believe that. But God is saying our words and our thoughts need to be acceptable to the Lord. Sister Melanie, if you could come. When Jesus called his disciples, he asked them to leave everything. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says, And there went great multitudes, and there were went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto him, said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not, by the word, by the way, some people really get stuck on that, that God is saying that they need to hate their father. And No, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is you need to love less. He's not justifying that you hate your father or mother or your brothers or sisters or your wife or your children. He's saying, I want you to put them below me. If you put me first, all right, everybody got that? He says, and Hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and even in his own life also cannot be my disciple. And whatsoever, or, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What God is saying is if you're going to sacrifice to me, put me first. Let me be first and best. I'd rather have God first in my life than have greater income. I'd rather have God be first in my life than greater anything else. Because greater anything else is an idol. And God says you shall not have idols. My prayer today is that the first and best is what we're giving God. Not the leftovers. Not the leftovers. My wife will tell you that it's very rare that I like leftovers. It's just me. I want it to be fresh. I really do. I will eat leftovers sometimes, especially after Thanksgiving. But I've never liked reheating leftover pizza, for instance. 
got a few pieces left. You put the box back in the refrigerator. You microwave it, and it's awful. Have you ever tried that? I tried it a couple times. I ain't doing it no more. Even if you put it in the oven, it's still lame. You know. Go down to the pizza place, get a fresh one. It's not hard to live for God if you love Him. And it's not hard to have a good marriage if you love your husband and if you love your wife. Amen? That's most of the battle right there. If you will love them, your marriage will take care of itself. If you would stand with me this morning. I love this song, and I asked Melanie to play this in the closing moments of this service. It simply says, I give myself away. This is absolutely one of my favorite songs. It says, I give myself away, I give myself away so that you can use me. One of the verses says, here I am, here I stand. Lord, my life is in your hands. Lord, I'm longing to see your desires revealed in me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. The second verse says it like this. Take my heart, take my life as a living sacrifice. All my dreams, all my plans, Lord, I place them in your hands. I give myself away so you can use me. And then the bridge says this, my life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. As this altar is open this morning, I would like to open this altar to anyone that has a mindset, I want to put you first, Jesus. I want to give you first and best in my life. There's not going to be any idols. There's not going to be any gods before you. There's not going to be any tendencies to put myself first. I'm going to put you first. If, you, if that's your prayer this morning, this altar is open to anyone that would like to come. And if you don't feel as though you can come to the altar, you can pray where you're standing or where you're sitting if you'd like. I don't want anybody to feel pressured. But this altar is open. And I want that prayer that we send up before the Lord this morning. Lord, I want you to be first in my life. And I want you, I want to give you my best. Not the leftovers, Lord but I want to give you the best. Let that be our prayer as Melanie leads us in worship.
Melanie was singing that song, I, I just really felt strongly in my spirit that there's someone here that's struggling with, struggling with the fact that you've done things you know are wrong, you haven't lived exactly the way you should have lived, you've done things you knew better than, than to do. Wants me to remind you, just like the words of the song, there's nothing too dirty that he can't make clean. There's nothing so shattered that he can't put back together again. The Lord wants, yes, the Lord wants me to remind you that he's still a God of restoration. He's still the God that looks down the road waiting for the prodigal son to come home. We prayed on Friday night, and the whole gist of our prayer meeting Friday night was praying for the prodigal, those that 
need to return to the Lord. We believe God is doing that. God wants you to know and wants you to understand this morning that He still loves you. He still has a plan for you. And He still has a purpose for you. And that all you have to do is just follow the steps back to Him that He leads for you. Repent, turn, turn from your the Bible says if you turn from your wicked ways, he'll hear from heaven, forgive your sin, and heal your land. It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so just understand that he does still love you. He still wants you back. Doesn't matter how broken you might feel right now, he can put you back together again. Doesn't matter how bad, how dirty you feel, his blood can still clean you. You'll offer that sacrifice the pastor was talking about and give yourself as a living sacrifice and place yourself into the potter's hands. He's going to take care of you. He's going to go ahead and mold you into a vessel that that only he can can mold you into something that's beautiful. Amen. Amen. Why don't you lift your hands to the Lord one more time. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. We thank you for the moving of your spirit and for the preaching of your word today. And we're asking, Lord, that you would allow us to apply the word that we have heard today to our lives, Lord. Help us to receive that which you have planted into our spirits today. And let us water it, Lord, and let us be able to see that word and that seed that was planted come to fruition in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. If there's some that still pray, and let's be respectful of them. Don't forget, we're meeting at Talcott Mountain at 2.30 p.m. to go on our fellowship event. Everybody is welcome to go. Come and join us. We would love it. Even if you're a first-time guest, come and join us. We would love for you to be with us. We want to get to know you more. Again, the directions are in the bulletin. You have the address there that you can plug into your GPS. We're starting the hike at 2.30. Starting the hike at 2.30. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. We love you very much. today.